Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. This is 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, back. And we'll talk briefly about what he did, the excursion that he had yesterday. This is Market Call, 30 minutes. We'll get shit done for you, people. Uh, this Market Call, by the way, brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And, of course, SoFi, get your money right all in one app. If you follow me on Twitter, you will see that I put out a tweet with a video of Anthony Noto that I think is both awesome and inspiring. Check it out at your favorite podcast store, <laughs> Dan. Uh, looking forward to having EY from SoFi join us in just a few minutes, um, sporting a lovely scarf. I might say, how are you, Dan? Uh, I'm doing well. And first of all, just to be very clear, uh, Anthony Noto is the CEO of SoFi. Yes. He has been a guest on our fine podcast on the tape podcast. What was that late last year? We got a little bit of his backstory, Goldman Banker, by way of West Point, West Point mm -hmm. Academy served after that, went to Wall Street, worked at the NFL, was the COO of Twitter, and now the CEO of uh, SoFi. I can't wait to see the video, guy. You seem inspired. That, well, it's badass. I mean, he's laying people yeah. out on a football, I mean, which I love. Oh, it's you like know? I mean, school. he's just Got putting it. the lumber down. Got it. Which I totally dig. And it's the old school football when guys actually wore shoulder pads. Now, now it's like, well, that's for another show. Anyway, yeah. the big three letters today, Dan. Uh, we're PPI, and I got to tell you something. For you folks hoping that things are cooling down, well, you got a dose of reality in that number. With that said, which is one of my go-to lines, yeah, I am shocked at how well the market's holding in there for now. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, you just said uh, the three uh, numbers, or letter, I don't know what the hell you said, but I, I would say HFL or are, are, are three other letters are important, HFL. higher for longer. Oh, and I think oh. what... The, the Fed uh, Governor Mester had to say about the 50 basis points is on the table now. I mean, come on, man. Like, I, I just don't understand why you would, like, run to buy stocks in this sort of environment. And, um, you know, especially, you know, we well, let's just run through just some of the initial reactions to the PPI headline. If you look at it, if you just look at what the S&P futures did, um, you know, they had that kind of immediate gap lower, I think, followed by the Mester comment. They recovered a bit. So I think this is the part where you're suggesting not really sure why they're acting this way. I think what happened in yields, Guy, really important here. If you look at the, I think we have the two-year, um, and, and again, a 50 basis point hike in the Fed funds rate, higher, let's say if that was 25 basis points, higher than what the CME Fed funds tracker is pricing right now look at that you see that the 10-year now this is the one to me okay and i want you to talk to me about this okay if this thing starts sniffing four percent again i just don't understand how stocks could be trading the s p in particular where it is right now at about 41.35 it's you know there'll be people that say well wait a second guy wait a second dan 
and EY when she joins us. The economy is clearly not feeling the effects of any of this. Look at retail sales. Look at this unemployment. Look at the jobs numbers. These are all encouraging signs. You guys want the economy to crater so badly, you're, you know, you're missing the forest for the trees, as they say. And I'll take a step back. I think one of the reasons um, tenure is moving higher, the yield, is because of that. I think there's this belief out there that, wait a second, maybe the economy actually is on somewhat strong footing. I am not one of those people, by the way. The other side of the equation is you know, inflation is clearly a problem and it's manifesting itself in tenure. To your point, though, if lower yields are bullish for the high growth, uh, high valuation equities, it would stand to reason that yields then going the other way should be bearish. I mean, I'm not the brightest bulb in the fixture, but that should be true. We're just not seeing it. So something is amiss here. I still yeah. think, and this is now the 200th time I've said it, you know, I thought twos tends to the, the, the tune of 1% inversion, three and a half, four and a half. Maybe it's three and three quarters, four and three quarters. Again, I don't think the levels matter as much as the absolute uh, inversion does. So yeah. I'm with you on this one. I don't, I, I personally, I don't think you can paint much of a bullish picture for yields going higher in this environment. Here's a comment. This is a tweet um, from Gestalt96 um, saying market's waiting for you all, y'all to capitulate, don't you think? Um, here, here's the thing. I'm just going to say this flat out, guys, because I don't really give a shit, okay? No. Um, if you think about what Guy and I do every day on Market Call and on the tape, on OK Computer, on CNBC's Fast Money, on the our o Twitter, OT. the OT, you know, all, all the above. Do you want us flapping in the wind like 98% of the other people out there talking about the stock market? Or do you want us to kind of be convicted about what we're doing, telling you what we're doing, why we're doing it, why we're not capitulating here and there, whatever? And let me tell you another thing. Neither one of us are rooting for the economy to crater, okay? By, by no means, okay? What we are actually rooting for is the stock market and the stuff that we look at to actually discount the potential for a weak economy. Then that's where the market will present unique opportunities to buy things, right? And so for me, I'm a trader here. I invest in things. I don't talk about the things that I'm invested in, whether it be funds or this and that or whatever, because I'm not changing the tune on those things. That is how you stay afloat, right, from a financial standpoint over the long term. I'm on a show called Fast Money. I've been doing it since 2011. I've started in this business trading at a hedge fund doing long, short stuff. So the only thing that I've actually really been wrong on, other than uh, you know a handful of really big names like Tesla of late, I was really right on it last year, is the stock market and everything else has been pretty good. So in general, I mean, I don't mean to sound defensive by any means, but this is not a, a particularly productive market, in my opinion. And, and make no mistake about it, Guy and I are not rooting for a weak economy. We do not want to see unemployment go up. We don't want to see people who are not doing particularly well in this economy do worse than they are right now. So I mean, the market's just a game here, people. I mean, this is what we're doing every day when we're doing this on Market Call or Fast yeah. Money. Anything. Preach on, as the kids say. There's also yeah. this belief out there that unless you're waving the pom-poms each and every day, you're somehow un-American. You know, I would submit the most un-American thing you could do is put your head in the fucking ground and pretend everything's okay. Pardon my French. Yeah. With that said, you know, Doug Castle, I think is watching right now. He pointed out something two days or so ago. So forgive me if I'm off, but he said, you know, for him, six month yields are flashing red in terms of where they are now in relation to where they were some 15 or so years ago. And, you know, he's looking at that as a bit of a warning sign. The warning signs are all there. 
I mean, without question, the only thing that's not participating is the price action of the broader market. I mean, there's some individual names here and there, but you know, the market is resilient as hell. I'll say it again. I am shocked. And we play this game all the time before we bring EY in. If you had told me what PPI was going to be and say, okay, here's PPI on the back of retail sales, the jobs number, blah, 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 CPI, where's the S&P going to be today? It sits down 100 handles, easy. VIX is north of 22, easy, right? And no, we're not seeing anything close to that. Anyway, back to you, Dan. Yeah, I, and let's just pull up the uh, the chart of the 10-year here. I think this is kind of interesting when you when you think about um, you know that 4% level. I mean, I really do think if we have a one-year, I don't know if we do, uh, we get back up there and it really, I think that's probably when kind of like, you know, warning bells start, start screaming a little bit here. And I think also we're, you know, two thirds, maybe, you know, more than 80%, I guess, at this point of uh, S&P earnings out of the way. And, you know, your point about resiliency in the stock market, I mean, just today, you know, I'm seeing Twilio up 17.5%, Fastly up 20%, um, Roku up 17% uh, after their earnings. These are companies who've been cutting costs here and expectations have been coming down. They were all at their lows recently, down 80%. They're still still in massive downtrends. These are still bear market rallies here. And I don't think you want to take any cues um, from these, in, in, in my opinion. And then, you know, guy, I just got to say, like, here's a name. Okay, Tesla. And, and I know a lot of our viewers here, listeners, know I've been kind of battling this one um, of late. I mean, here's a headline that just comes out here. The um, NHTSA, they are the regulator for automobile companies. They're forcing the company to recall their full self-driving. This is 300 and what, 60 some thousand, 363,000 almost cars. I mean, this is a company that shipped, let's say, a million cars last year. Not all of them um, have this full self-driving. And this is a huge thing for them because this is like their future. Again, I hope they get it right. I hope this thing is safe. You saw that Super Bowl ad um, by that that gentleman who, who does not think they're particularly safe. But this stock doesn't even doesn't even sell off on that headline. I mean, which is crazy. And then you think there's other headlines. The headlines are not good. That the union, were, uh, the workers at their gigafactory in Buffalo who are working on full self-driving want to unionize and they they just fired a bunch of them. I mean, the list goes on and on. The Shanghai gigafactory shutting down for the rest of the month. And so I see the. I think I think you're cutting in and out. So I apologize, Dan, oh, but I think you make good points. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. Things happen slowly, then all at once. And. And I think your point earlier is spot on. We're not hoping for things to go pear-shaped, but I will tell you, having lived, having done television shows all through 07, 08, and 09, and having masses of people, you know, hit us and say, I wish you guys had told us or had been more vocal about things, you know, I, I, I vowed to, and, and I was doing it at the time, but you vow not to be one of these people that just tells people everything's going to be fine, buy the dip, blah, 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 long-term investor bullshit that you hear from everybody. Unfortunately, I don't have my proprietary trading platform like some other people out there. So I just do it with the, with the benefit of having been in this business for quite some time. Anyway, um, yeah. do we want to look at the Blackstone slide real quick? Cause I think it's essential. When you hear somebody from Blackstone make a comment like this to your earlier point, higher for longer, this is exactly right. I mean, extended period of elevated rates. That's what we've been saying for a while. Yeah. The fed could stop tomorrow. The fed could have stopped yesterday, but rates are going to remain elevated. And again, the lag effect, and the residual effect of higher rates on the economy and the market subsequently can be felt for quite some time. And I think 
that's what the market's not quite getting, at least in my opinion, Dan. Well, and just to be really clear, um, this quote is not from just anybody over there at Blackstone. This is from John Gray, the guy who runs the place here. And these guys obviously manage uh, across multiple assets, multiple geographies. They're very rate-sensitive businesses, um, hundreds of billions of dollars in customer assets here. So the, the fact that he's willing to say the market is too optimistic over the economy um, weakening, um, I think is kind of interesting here. Um, but the market is too optimistic over the economy weakening. Okay. Okay. Maybe, um, you know what I mean? But like, um, you know, I thought I took some other, um, quotes out of that just saying, and listen, I, I gotta tell you this, my experience with Blackstone, at least from like a pundit and someone who reads like most of what they say in the press is like, I don't think they're like the savviest, um, macro folks. We had that guy. Um, what was it last year? Idol, Jay-Z. Yeah. Joe Zidal. I mean, I'm sure he's a smart guy. I'm sure he's a great economist or whatever. But um, the disconnect between what he had to say about rates, the economy, mortgage rates, the housing market, everything like that, I don't, I don't think was particularly right. That was last year's on our show. All right. Just one last thing, Guy, before we move over to our friend here. Um, let's look at the S&P 500, a one-year chart. And um, you know, we were drawing that downtrend uh, for a while. We don't know. have to. We don't have to do that anymore. But if you look at that kind of level that we drew the resistance line at, that was, um, you know, a level that I think the S and P broke down from in September. Here, you see that well-defined uptrend. You see the 200-day moving average, 3943-ish or so. I mean, I, you want to tell? Listen. You know where I'll change my tune is if we had a quick move down to that 200-day moving average and we hold and some mm -hmm. of the stocks that you expect to be leadership hold and, you know, you know what I mean, some of the data maybe. It, like I would love to see the stock market act well with really good breath and the names that I actually care about, okay, um, with a higher rate environment. And you've been saying this for years that the Fed needed to normalize rates and let the market let the market forces decide what the right rate is, right, for risk assets and valuations, that sort of thing. That would be a great thing. And so, you know, to me, maybe you get down to that 3,800 level, which is where we kind of clustered there in December before we took off. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's when we could say, you know what, I'm going to be neutral on the market and I'm going to start picking stocks. Agreed. I think that's exactly right. I think the best case scenario if you are in fact bullish, is a test of that 200-day, a bounce off it, and then, you know, then you could be looking at a market that rejected the lows, has gotten itself on stable footing, has accommodated or at least acclimated itself to higher rates. You know, maybe unemployment does not trend higher. Maybe we can navigate through this thing. You know, I'm hard pressed to believe it's going to happen though. And by the way, you know, the inflation indicators and EY brought this up a couple of weeks ago. Those things were starting to turn back up for the first time in a while and we rattled off a number of different ones so you know and you've actually said it recently you know your one of your fears was that inflation rears its ugly head yet again and i've made that parallel to 1972 1973 that you know that this federal reserve doesn't want to make the same mistakes that were made some 50 or so years ago so we'll see how it plays in by the way tell folks where you there yesterday where you were yesterday before we bring in ey yeah, scarb well, I, from sofi i appreciate you and carter doing some heavy lifting i was down in philadelphia or philadelphia i think is what they call it here um i have some good friends who are huge huge philly sports fans um they call themselves the process trusters we've been doing this the last few years where Pardon we basically me? we get on we get on a bus it's usually january february a little party bus we head to philly we our first stop is pat steaks maybe we do a little geno's who knows then we head downtown to mcgillan's the oldest bar um in philadelphia we we lots of pitchers of beer going on in that thing some chicken wings maybe 
I don't know guy. And then we find our, our way to the, uh, to the Sixers game and, and, and enjoy that. And we head back in the same night. And I will tell you this at Pat Stakes, there's a guy, really young guy, great kid. Pat. Yeah. He, he watches fast money, fan of the Stop. show. Uh, South Philly. He obviously likes Adami. You got a lot of vowels in your last name there. Um, and you know what? This kid gave me gave me an extra cheese stick on the house because he likes the program there. So um, shout out to his dad, Anthony, who is a huge Fast Money fan. Um, but pretty cool stuff. I love Pat. That, that is a tremendous day. I will tell you, um, hopefully, if if I were on that bus, which trust me when I tell you, it's, it's not really my thing, but I would force the bus driver to stop and allow me to relieve myself because trips of that length, you know, I have to take a leak. I mean, that's just what happens. Well, we do have an age limit. So 55 is that age oh, limit because good. for that very reason, we got to get to where we're going here. All right, let's do it, guy. On that note, I mean, let's just – on that sour note, let's bring in <laughs> – what? what are you making a face about? What, 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 so she looks like she's shocked. I, does that that's surprise Lydia. you? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, Hi, guys. Yeah, Hi, everybody. Hello. It's a great scarf, by the way. Thank you. Somebody Listen, put a comment in wondering if, if me and Carter watch from the top of the show. Yes, we do. We see I know the you whole do. thing. And we so you heard what we said, and, and you heard me say earlier that you've pointed out, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I think, that you know some of these inflationary indicators were actually trending back up. And now they're yeah. starting to manifest themselves in some of these things we've seen. The PPI today, and I mean, you, there's no sugarcoating it. I mean, it's that went the wrong way yeah. on top of CPI, on top of a number of different things. You know, people explain it away any way they want. There's really no explaining away this number. Things are starting to trend the wrong way. They're starting to trend the wrong way. I would even say they're just, they stopped falling, right? They stopped falling as fast. And I've said for a long time, the risk here is that I think the market is assuming We've seen CPI come down from its peak last June at a pretty fast clip, and the market is assuming it's going to continue coming down at that same clip until we get to target and we all live happily ever after. And that is not the case because now it's stuck on services, and that's going to continue to be the problem as we go forward in the next few months. So I think the real risk is that services stay elevated. And then I think this is a point that you've made a lot of times, Guy, is that what if commodity prices come back? What if energy prices come back towards the end of the year? Then we've got CPI that actually rises again, and that's obviously a problem. So what I wrote about this week, title, same, same, but different, different. We missed, we missed the other different. But anyway, here's the thing. Every time we get a CPI report, and I am so fired up about this. I tried to get all my aggression out in the blog, and I just didn't. Every time we get a report, I get more and more mad about this because we already had these measures of core versus headline, right? Okay, so I get it. We take out energy. We take out food. The Fed's like got its magnifying glass. Like, all right, what's the, what's the stuff that's causing us a problem? Just take it out. Just get it out of there. Mm -hmm. So we take out energy and food. Now we're taking out all goods and shelter because they're trying to get at the underlying level of inflation or whatever to find the neutral rate. So we've got this new super core measure of inflation, which is core services x shelter. Okay. What the hell? Like that's everything that we pay for is right. now out of it. And like unless the Fed is, I don't know, taking me to dinner, paying my rent and filling my gas tank, like all that stuff still matters. So at the end of the day, who cares? Who cares what all these new measurements are? The measurement that matters is what's hitting consumers 
And that's headline that will always be headline. And we need the consumer to keep the economy going. So some of this whole, this bull story about the consumer is so strong, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're strong until they're not. And yeah. I think that there's going to be some pressure. Coming. 100%. Dan wants to get in, but quickly. I mean, I say this all the time. And thank you, by the way, for saying it far more eloquently than I. But I'll say this. You know, you want to know where real inflation is. Look at Coca-Cola's report. The bullshit phrase about organic growth. And I've said this 50 times. That is code for, guess what, folks? We're, we're passing on our cost to you, suckers. And that's where real inflation is. So you want to get a handle on it? Look at those reports. Dan, back to you. Yeah, no. And, you know, it's interesting because um, it's also, it's not just the data and how the goalposts get moved a little bit. And so we can and sit and scream um, about all that stuff. It's also some of these narratives. So there's no landing narrative. You know what oh I mean? God. Like these are things that yeah. I guess if you've been around long enough, you just kind of say to yourself, okay, I mean, people are going to turn themselves um, into a pretzel and try to just kind of, um, you know, get the data to, to conform with their market views. And again, you know, I don't think we're doing that. I, obviously, we're fighting a little bit here. What we're trying to do is kind of highlight the fact that, yeah, you know, those CPI readings that were near 10%, you know, six, nine months ago, of course, they were going to come back in. And, you know, we were also questioning the Fed still kind of talking about this 2% downside target, right? When, you know, three years ago, they were praying for it to be above um, 2% here. So even some sort of reversion is good. But I guess if you're thinking about markets, right, markets, this discounting mechanism, they're not discounting right now the potential for and Guy's been saying this for a year, the pesky and persistent nature of once these things move up, these prices, whether it's shelter, whether it's services, whether it's uh, wages, you know what I mean? So the wages weighs on corporations. But if the inflation rate stays bid and the wages don't go up enough, that's where it starts hurting the consumer at a time where savings rates is going down, consumer credit's going up. And, and listen, if we're not going to pick these things out, we're not going to talk about them, then you're not going to be ready for it if it happens. And again, we're not wishing it on anything. All right, my last point and i'll shut up here um guy liz had this really i think choice little comment in her note same same but different different thanks Stephen, for cutting that off you just took <laughs> all the wit all the wit out yeah. of this, this title here he had, a, he had to clip it he had to clip it but he said my intuition and common sense says there's not a bottomless pit of savings to support this level of spending and there's not a bottomless pit of wage growth to keep it elevated enough to drive gdp indefinitely liz Explain here, because I think that, again, was fairly eloquent. Well, I mean, OK, so part of this is like we overcomplicate everything and we get to this point in a cycle. We continue to overcomplicate it. All these measures of CPI overcomplicating. So step back. What does your gut tell you? What does common sense tell you? This can't go on forever. We had a decade long of time where there was a punch bowl. There was endless liquidity that was given to us by the central bank. That is gone. That is over. By definition, it is not here anymore. So there is no bottomless pit left. And I think the market is assuming both of these things. I'm oversimplifying, obviously. But the argument that I continue to hear is that, but there's so much savings left. How? Because mm -hmm. the savings rate is down under 3%. It dropped below 3% again. Credit card spending is way up. There can't be that much savings left. And the wage growth thing, plus PPI that came in today, those are both things that hit company costs. Costs are up. And if they're up and staying elevated, newsflash, revenues are also coming down because inflation is down. The math of that says lower top line, higher costs, lower bottom line. 
And it just, it cannot go on forever and ever with expanding multiples. So something's got to give. There's also the, there's the small possibility. And I think this is the argument for some of the bulls, small possibility that if real wages turn positive and stay positive, the consumer will be so excited about it that they will just sort of spend us out of this. Mm. And yeah, I mean, they can spend, I don't think they can spend us all the way out of 5% fed funds rate and no liquidity left. We're light years away from real. I don't think there have been positive real wages in this country for quite some time. If you actually measured it accurately, and quite frankly, if you use the real inflation rate, we're nowhere near it. And, you know, I would submit the real inflation rate is probably double what these jokers tell us it is to all of Liz's points. You know, with that said, the health of the consumer, it's such lazy um, jargon that people come on networks and stuff talk. The consumer's in great shape. They get no pushback. Uh, money on the sideline, they get no push. Not because it just sounds smart, but it's dumb. Here's the reality. There's no, now we're north of $5 trillion in consumer debt in this. $5 trillion with a T. Never been higher. I think credit card debt is north of a trillion and a half dollars. I should say a little north of $1.1, $1.2 trillion. Never seen levels like this before in a rising interest rate environment. No bueno. Debt to GDP in this country is probably north of 140%-ish, if you measured that accurately, in a rising interest rate environment. None of these things fix themselves overnight. And, you know, again, if you're, gonna, if you're making your bet that there's this cash on the sideline that's magically going to come floating back into the market, I think it's just built on, you know, built in sand, Dan. Yeah, and I guess all you have to do is look at the stuff that's acted like absolutely you know crazy you know what i mean like this year this is not the the cash on the sideline that you want to kind of put your cash behind if you're like kind of taking um a longer term view of this and you're focused on valuations and that sort of thing and, and again i think we did a good job last year of kind of discussing this you know day after day or week after week is like listen man on a long-term basis you have to dollar cost average in periods like we had in 2022 where you have an S&P at its lows that was down 25 percent or the Nasdaq at its lows down 35 percent um, but when it comes to picking stocks and chasing some of the goofiness that we're seeing um, right now it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense and and I'll just throw up just look at the Bitcoin okay so look at the one-year chart of this thing and when you think about the narrative and how bad it was all the fraud and all the bad due diligence last year. And this is not by Johnny Come Lately. This is by firms, VC firms like Sequoia, like some of the like the best venture capital firms out there. When I say best, longevity, returns, you know what I mean? The quality of the people that they have there. Um, look at what happened to Bitcoin. All we had to do was turn the calendar right into January and we don't hear about F. SBF or FTX or the Winklevi or all the other crap. The, the who's the guy on Shark Tank? Who's you know like all the BS? Okay, and now this thing is is up a hundred percent, and and the Fed's telling you, I, listen. And here's the other thing. You know, I, I can't tell you what the bull case for Bitcoin is. I don't even know what the use like the use cases are anymore. It's all if you think about all the staking BS and all the DeFi stuff, and there might be stuff that comes out of it, the transparency and the on-chain this and all that sort of stuff. It is just not needed here in the developed world whatsoever. So you're talking about a risk asset that's 450 billion or whatever the hell it is, you know, that's Facebook. Okay. So have out of people. You want to buy something that you, you know, that's got warts all over it and and this and that, or whatever. There's no real good regulatory, but that's that's a great example here. And I said this on OK Computer the other day. Trevor Marshall of uh, CTO, co-founder, current, I had Meltem Demiris of CoinShares. And I said, I actually, if you look at the five-year chart on a log basis, 
guy. This is actually, I think this is a horrible looking chart. I actually th still think it's in a massive downtrend. I actually think it's going to go back to those 2019 um, highs down there um, at two, uh, you know, 13,000 uh, 13, or something. I think it get cut in half again. I don't think this thing is over, but that's just exhibit A of just how people have been pushed out of the risk curve when we have Fed funds near 5%. I love an exercised EY, by the way. It's tremendous. People say, People, I read the comments um, and they say, man, I would hate to be around her if she gets really mad. And you know what? There's probably some truth to that. I mean, when I'm not when I'm not recorded. Yeah. Jack Wait, people just, up. Just to, to wrap it up, I want to read a headline to everybody. Please. Okay? This is this is by the Seattle Times. And then I'll give you the date that this was written afterwards. Call him a brilliant economist or just lucky. But Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke appears to be guiding the economy to a soft landing. Guess when that was written? Uh, it's December, be... December 12th, 2006. Okay. Yeah. How so soft was Dan that knows how I feel about that guy. I, I, <laughs> he, he's on the top of my F and list. I mean, and you know, you think, oh, I can't believe I'm going to do this because I, I should. <laughs> well, just like, wait, right I didn't even now. know. Right, hold on. Let's be really clear. On the top of your list of you think of, of kind of bozos who've kind of just put us in this, this perpetual situation where we are. You don't have any other lists. There's no, you know what I mean? Like he's you know, on the top of it. And I'll say this, you know, basically he put on the biggest prop trade in the history of financial markets. There's no question in terms of size, no question about it. Then before he exited the trade, he was allowed to leave and go off on his merry way. Oh, but guess what? Citadel wants to bring him in as an advisor. Are you effing kidding me? The one company that can take advantage of his knowledge and understanding where some of the soft points are and what happens under different scenarios. And they want to bring in the guy that put on the biggest prop trade ever because he's some effing genius. I'm all for capitalism, but there's no freaking way that guy should have been allowed to go work at a company like that. You want to write a book? Knock yourself out. Nine people will read it, three of which are in your effing family. But don't go work at Citadel because it's on borderline effing criminal. There you go. And you're not the genius you think you are there, bearded man. So go take a effing, you know, short walk or long walk off a short pier. I can't believe you brought him up. As 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 Damone said, I woke up in such a good mood. I don't know what happened. Believe me, nobody is more sorry I brought him up than me right now. Guy's a Johnson. All right. He's a huge Johnson. Which, by the way, if you want to Google something, Google Aaron Burnett. Hugh Johnson. It's one of the funniest <laughs> moments in the history of CNBC. I'm telling you, do yourself a favor if you want to laugh. Back to you, Dan. All right. Segue here, people. That's what we call it. This is going to be a hard turn. Um, I think our market call viewers and listeners know that on the Thursday program, we get a preview of John Butters. He's Butters. the senior earnings insight analyst over at FactSet. He drops his report on Fridays. You can subscribe to that, get it in your email box. I've been getting it in my email box for years. Um, this week, and Liz, I want to get your take on this because I think this is important. We think about like, you know, being on the tail end of, of Q4 earnings season here. He's talking about actual earnings reported by S&P 500 companies for Q4. They're exceeding the estimated earnings by 1.3%. The earnings surprise percent is below the five-year average of 8.6% and the 10-year average of 6.4%. In fact, its second lowest earnings surprise percent uh, for the index since 2008 makes the seventh straight quarter. This number has declined. And at the sector level, Communication services down nearly 4%. Industrials down a little less than 1%. And consumer discretionary down 0.4%. Sectors are reporting negative earnings, surprise, 
percentages. Okay, but you got to go back to that first thing. I mean, they're exceeding estimated earnings by 1.3%. We've been talking about, and John's been covering this now for a while, that you know analysts tend to overestimate, but they have been coming down into the prints. So therefore, we've seen some positive reactions here, Liz. Yeah, well, but they've been estimating. Uh, these are lowered estimates, okay? And Correct. exceeding mm-hmm. by 1.3%, that's like, okay, you guys get a participation trophy. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for turning the lights on today. That's a pretty low surprise. And as we know, the number of companies surprising is below all of the long-term averages. So fewer companies are surprising. And the ones that are surprising are surprising by uninspiring amounts. I don't think this is good. We've had our first quarter of negative earnings growth. The sequence goes markets, earnings, economy. So if we're heading into an earnings recession, the market's going to have to correct itself. And then the economy is soon to follow. Freaking EY dropping knowledge here. Shadi Shadi says, would you speak to the huge debt service level, $720 billion in 2023? Yeah. I mean, GDP in this country is $21 trillion-ish. $720 billion is not insignificant. And by the way, probably going higher than that if rates continue to go higher. So unsustainable. Dan talks about this all the time. One of the reasons he didn't think rates could go significantly higher is for that reason alone. And you better hope they don't freaking go higher because then it's effectively all we're doing is servicing our debt, which is incredible. And forget about the fact that nobody's mentioning the whole debt ceiling thing. People think it's magically going away. It's not because MTG and those folks are going to hold everybody's feet to the fire. I'm telling you, it gets worse before it gets better. And oh, by the way, since I'm still here, our few Aaron Rodgers fans out there, apparently he's doing some four-day darkness retreat, which is so, I can't even tell you how good that is from a guy that is so far out there. And somehow he's going to he's gonna exit the darkness and he's going to tell people where he's going to play. You All you what? Jet fans out there that think he's coming here, you better freaking hope he comes nowhere near Meadowlands or Shea Stadium, wherever the F you play. Back to you, Dan. There, hold on. There's a Florence and the Machine song that has a lyric... It's always darkest before the dawn. Maybe that's what he's going for. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, he's, I mean, that cat is gone, man. He is uh, Audi 5. We lost him a while ago, I think. And back to you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was fun, guys. EY, Liz Young from SoFi, thank you for joining us as always on Thursdays. She, will t- she won't admit this because contractually she's not allowed to do it, but she, by a factor of 10, she has more fun on this show than she does on the OC, IC, you know, UC, you know, whatever C. Then, you know, I, I can just tell. I know. I can tell. I'm just saying. Back to you, Chad. Chad Tunis is saying, Guy missed his calling slash comedian. That's what he did. did no, I am. I think he does anyway. Chad, I am a funny mother. Mofo. Chad, Chad, does he amuse you? Do you find him funny? Is he amuse you like a clown? All right. Guy, Don't rule take, out nervous laughter, guys. Yeah, no, take this out here, man. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't. I, I'm telling you, I didn't even. I'm. I'm. I didn't even want. I don't even know how that. You mentioned that name, and it's like it's a Pavlovian response. I didn't. I, didn't I know. see his picture, yeah. and I, I. I start to break. I'm telling you, it's bad. It's real. I gotta. I gotta seek counseling. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm. Mm-hmm. You need just, an energy healer. Yeah, I need an. I need an. <laughs> I need those like hot rock massage or something. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Dan, I apologize. That's it for today's market call. We're not here tomorrow because it's Friday, but soon enough, there's going to be a chance you will be seeing market call on Fridays. Who knows? But I want to thank EY from SoFi, always bringing it. 
Lovely scarf, by the way. Love the <laughs> scarf. I sound very Silence of the Lambs there, by the way, Clarice. <laughs> uh, I want to thank FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. SoFi, Dan, get your money right all in one app. I want to thank Dan Nathan, back from Philadelphia. He watched the Cavaliers lose to the Sixers last night. Joel Embiid putting 29 up. The guy's a beast. Uh, we'll see you on Fast Money at 5 o'clock, and we'll see you all later. Bye.